Good morning and welcome to Kirkpatrick's Sunday morning service of worship. It's good to know that while some of us gather to worship online in our homes, part of our church family is also gathering in our buildings too. Our prayer is that wherever we are, this time would be one of blessing and hope as we worship the living God as his family here in Ballyhackamore. I wonder if giving thanks for your food is something that you do in your home before you eat. For every cup and every plateful, Lord make us truly grateful. This little rhyme of thanksgiving and others like it have been doing the rounds for years. This season has been one where we've been challenged afresh to be thankful for the food on our plates and in our cupboards, when access to shops has been more limited and supply under pressure. As this is our Harvest Sunday, we're going to be thanking God for his goodness and provision to us a little later in song and prayer. But thankfulness to God, day by day, every season of the year, is a posture of heart. A thankful heart is one that is quick to praise God as the giver of all good things. I've got a friend who demonstrates this posture in good times and bad. In conversation, if I'm sharing something, she'll just say, thank you, Jesus. Or she might even say, shall we thank God for that now and start praying? A posture of thankfulness to God is a beautiful thing. Perhaps this morning you can easily give thanks to God. Your heart is full. Words of thankfulness come easily to you. Well, if that is you, the words of Psalm 100, which I'm about to read, will provide a framework for your thankful heart to worship God. But perhaps you're listening this morning or here in person and your heart is not full. You come to worship with a heavy heart, weary, anxious, weak. And words of thankfulness are hard to find. If this is you, let the words of the psalm speak out what is true when you can't. Allow these words to remind you of the reasons why he is to be thanked. As I read Psalm 100, pay attention to the reasons why the writer says we can be thankful this morning as the people of God. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. I wonder, did you notice them? The reasons to be thankful. The Lord is God. He made us and we are his. He is good. His love endures forever. His faithfulness endures through all generations. Let us pray. Father God, we want to shout for joy to you this morning and worship you with gladness. We praise you that you are God. You made us and we are yours. We praise you that you are good, loving and faithful. 
There are so many reasons to thank you this morning. Forgive us, Father, how we fail to live as your people this week. In too many ways to name, we've fallen short, consumed with ourselves and listening to the narrative of this world rather than to you. Oh Lord, forgive us. We ask that you would assure us of the completed work of the Lord Jesus on our behalf this morning. Thank you that you don't leave us as we are, but, but you promise transformation to make us more like Jesus. Do this today, we ask. In his precious name. Amen. Our reading this morning is taken from Genesis chapter 14, verses 11 to 24. The first 10 verses of chapter 14 tell of a war between an alliance of four eastern kings and five kings from the Dead Sea area. Christoph will deal with that in his sermon. We pick up the story at verse 11. The four kings seized all of the goods from Sodom and Gomorrah and all their food. Then they went away. They also carried off Abram's nephew Lot and his possessions, since he was living in Sodom. A man who had escaped came and reported this to Abram the Hebrew. Now Abram was living near the great trees of Mamre the Amorite, a brother of Eshcol and Ani all of whom were allied with Abram. When Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he called out the 318 trained men born in his household and went in pursuit as far as Dan. During the night, Abram divided his men to attack them and he routed them, pursuing them as far as Hoba, north of Damascus. He recovered all the goods and brought back his relative Lot and his possessions, together with the woman and the other people after Abram returned from defeating Kedoliamer and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shaveh, that is the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God's Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God Most High. Who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. The king of Sodom said to Abram, give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, with raised hand I have sworn an oath to the Lord, God most high, creator of heaven and earth, that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or the strap of a sandal so that you will never be able to say, I made Abram rich. I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten and the share that belongs to the men who went with me, to Anne, Eskel and Mamre. Let them have their share. Good to see you. How are you doing? You keeping all right? Are you finding a way through these crazy times that we're living in. I hope you are. And I hope you have some people around you who are encouraging you and helping you with that. Somebody around you who, who's asking you once in a while how you're doing. I'm your pastor, so I have a, a particular privilege and responsibility 
to ask you how you're doing and to be thinking particularly of the care of your soul. So when I ask you how you're doing, I'm, I'm wondering about your life with God. I'm wondering about your journey with Jesus. I'm wondering, as the old song puts it, whether it's well with your soul. Since I haven't been able to see most of you for six months now, I'm wondering what effect this half year has had on you. In particular, I'm just wondering whether you're growing in God. Have you found a way of keeping company with him in these circumstances that that feels like being in a classroom and learning more from him and about him? That feels like being in a, in a snug sitting by a fire where you feel you're growing closer to God and deeper with him. Are you growing? That's what I want to think about with you this morning as we come back to this story of Abraham. We're going to notice three things in the passage we've read today. Abraham's crisis, signs of growth, and then growth confirmed. So first of all, the crisis. We didn't read the opening verses of the chapter this morning, so let me give you a quick synopsis. I think if those opening verses were made into a film, you'd find that film in the action movie section. The action begins when four tyrannical eastern kings, uh, they're probably from the region of Sumer, round about Ur of the Chaldeans, uh, where the Abram story began. These four kings, under their captain-in-chief, Keter Laomer, they form an alliance and they come to crush a revolt by five kings in the Dead Sea area. The kings of Sodom and Gomorrah are among the five defeated kings. It's a story that wouldn't mean anything to us, I don't think, unless, as happens in verse 12, we learn that the conquering kings carried off Abram's nephew Lot and his possessions, since he was living in Sodom. Then in verse 13, we learn that Abram hears news of Lot's capture. So here we have our crisis, and Abram's confronted with a dilemma. How is he going to respond? Before we look at Abram's response, let's remind ourselves very quickly about Lot. Last week in Genesis 13, we saw that Lot has taken advantage of Abram. Uh, when Abram had presented him with a choice, take your pick, the land where you want to settle, and I'll go the other way. What does Lot do? Without a thought for Abram's seniority, without even considering common courtesy, Lot takes advantage of Abram's kindness. The selfish pig chose the best land for himself. This is the lot who's been kidnapped. Good riddance, you might say, if you were Abram. Serves you right for how you've treated me. Lot's clearly in great physical danger at this point in the narrative, but that isn't his only problem. He's also far from God. Paul showed us last week that to move eastward in the Genesis narratives invariably means to move away from God. For Lot, it's Sodom he's been moving towards. So in 
Chapter 13, verse 11, when he chooses the fertile Jordan Valley instead of the promised land of Canaan, he's taken his first step that will eventually lead him into the wicked city of Sodom. Then in, again in chapter 13, verse 12, we read that he camps near Sodom. By verse 12 of chapter 14, our chapter, we know that he's living in Sodom. And by the time we get to the first verse of chapter 19, we see that Lot is sitting at the gateway in Sodom. That implies that he's become a respected leader in that community, that he has a seat on the local council of that corrupt city. Lot is living further and further and further away from God. So now Lot, this nephew who's taken advantage of Abraham, who's deliberately chosen to live far from God, he's in danger. What's Abraham going to do? Will we see any signs of Abram growing in these very real life circumstances in which he finds himself. Abram responds with grace and with courage in face of danger. He's growing all right. Do you remember Abram's twin failures back in chapter 12? He failed to believe that God would provide for him and his family and that's why he took them from the land of promise down to Egypt. And he failed to believe that Abram or, or that God would protect him and his family. And so he resorted to deception. He risked his wife's honor and safety to the whim of Pharaoh. As we said back then, if life with God is about faith, then Abram's failing miserably. But we've seen signs already that Abram's changing, that he's growing. Abram's starting to believe that God will provide. Paul helped us to see this last week. Abram's no longer believing in the myth of scarcity, but he's rather getting to know the God of abundance. And he's learning to trust him, that he will provide. Today, here in chapter 14, we see another facet of Abram's growing trust in God. He's learning to trust God that he will protect. Look at verse 14. When he heard that his relative had been taken captive, Abram called out the 318 trained men born in his household and went in pursuit as far as Dan. We read in verse 16 that he recovered all the goods and brought back his relative Lot and his possessions, together with the women and the other people. As soon as Abram hears that Lot's in trouble, he acts decisively to help him. At great inconvenience to himself, he acts to help Lot, who's taken advantage of him. He risks his life to rescue Lot, who is clearly far from God. He's able to do this because he's trusting God for protection. Friends, Abram really is showing signs of growing as a man of God. I think he's displaying the character of Jesus Christ. Abram helped Lot, who had taken advantage of him. And when he did so, he was living out what Jesus taught his disciples. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn your left cheek also. If someone forces you to go one mile with them, go two miles. Jesus' message is clear. Even when you're being taken advantage of, 
continue to deal in grace. Isn't that quite a lesson? Isn't that something each follower of Jesus Christ here this morning will want to take to heart? When a trusted friend proves unfaithful, we remain faithful. When there's a dispute in our family and we feel we've been let down, we hang in there and we look for ways to help and to bring restoration. Does that sound impossible? Good. Now we're beginning to realise that this requires utter reliance on God. We need his grace. This is no ordinary journey we're on. We need God's spirit to transform us if we're ever going to display his character. Abram displayed the character of Jesus as he loved the one who had taken advantage of him. Abram also displayed the character of Jesus when he helped Lot, who was far from God. Jesus taught his disciples how to respond to those who don't yet know God. He told parables, explaining that his father is seeking out these sorry souls. There's an eagerness and a determination. It's like a shepherd looking for a lost sheep, or like a woman who's lost her wedding ring, or like a father looking for his long-lost son. Jesus' own willingness to look for those who didn't yet love God earned him a nickname, Friend of Sinners. Isn't that another profound lesson for those of us learning to follow Jesus? That person in our workplace who, who swears incessantly and who mocks us for our commitment to Jesus, we don't write them off just because they're far from God. Our respectable, friendly, ever-so-pleasant neighbour, who doesn't appear to have given God a thought for years, we don't give up on them either. When people are far from God, we do everything we can to seek them out and to help them. This is the way of Jesus. Abram's growing in it. So can we if we'll be open to the spirit of Jesus working in us. Let's pause there for a second and sing a song together. My heart is filled with thankfulness. In the first part of our chapter, we've seen Abram confronted with a crisis. Secondly, we've seen signs that he's growing. In the remainder of the chapter, we're going to see these signs of growth confirmed. After defeating the four kings and rescuing Lot, two kings come out to meet Abram. It's the king of Sodom and Melchizedek, the king of Salem. These two men stand in complete contrast. Melchizedek is a priest of the Most High God, we're told on the one hand, and the other is the king of the wicked city of Sodom on the other. It's a big moment. Who will Abram fall in with? Melchizedek approaches Abram with bread and wine. That, that's biblical shorthand, which means a, a meal. He's providing Abram with a, a banquet to celebrate the victory that he's just won. He blesses Abram in the name of God saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, 
who delivered your enemies into your hands. Notice what he's saying. He's saying that God, who hasn't even been mentioned in this chapter, is actually the hero of everything that's happened. God delivered your enemies into your hands. Abram's met a man who blesses him in God's name, but also reminds him that ultimately the battle belongs to the Lord. Abram responds positively to Melchizedek. He gives him one-tenth of the plunder that he has won in battle. By giving one-tenth of the plunder to a priest of God, Abram's sending a signal. He's saying that I understand that God's given me victory in this battle, and I understand that everything I have is from God. It's worth pausing for a moment here to think about how God's people give to God. Abram, as I say, was happy to give a tenth of his plunder to Melchizedek because he understands that everything that he has is from God. He understood that everything that he possesses is a gift. It's still the same today. Followers of Jesus Christ give sacrificially of their income because they understand that everything they have is a gift. In the final analysis, even our earnings aren't earned. We're not self-made the way we like to think. Our physical strength is a gift from God. The intellect that we use in our work, that too is a gift. We simply make use of these gifts for the duration of our lives by God's grace. People who understand that, that God's given them everything, find it a privilege to return the favour and gift to God. In contrast to Melchizedek's feast and blessing, the king of Sodom approaches Abram with no hospitality or even welcome. And, and when he finally does speak to him in verse 21, he's bossing Abram around. He says, give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. The people are mine. The stuff can be yours. Abram won't accept the goods from him. He doesn't want this pagan king's wealth. He knows what would happen What would happen if he took it. The king of Sodom would claim that he had played his part in making Abram great. The true servant of God doesn't need human patronage. Abram knows that it's God and God alone who's making something of him. So he gives the king of Sodom a wide berth. Just before we wrap up this morning, I want to take one last look at this mysterious character, Melchizedek. That name means king of righteousness. We're told that he's the king of Salem. Salem's derived from the Hebrew word shalom, uh, which if you have come across it before, you might know it means peace or complete wholeness. So this guy is the king of righteousness and peace. Isn't that quite something? We're told in verse 18 that he's a priest of the Most High. Now that's weird. It's going to be another 500 years before God gives his people instructions on how to institute a priesthood. But here we have, from out of nowhere, a 
priest of the Most High. What does that even mean? I'm not going to try and answer those questions this morning. What I'm going to do is take you for a moment to the place in the New Testament where Melchizedek's role in God's story is explored further. It's in chapter 7 of Hebrews. You might well know that the book of Hebrews has a melody line that runs right through it. And the core message of the book is that Jesus is greater. He's greater than all the elements of the Hebrew faith which he's come to fulfill. At one point in his argument in chapter 7, the author starts talking about Jesus in terms of this mysterious Melchizedek. Jesus, he says, has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The writer goes on to explain what he has in mind. He says that Melchizedek was without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life. Like the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. Now, I want you to forget for a second that strange stuff about Melchizedek's origins. The, the main point the writer is making is that Melchizedek is a priest forever and that Jesus is like him. What the writer is really trying to do is to show us how Jesus is greater than all the Levitical priests that served at the temple in Jerusalem. He says there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him. Because he always lives to intercede for them. Do you get that, brothers and sisters? We've been thinking here this morning about growth. We've seen how Abram's grown in his faith in the living God. We're wondering whether that growth would be possible for us too. We can grow. You can, I can, and here's why. We have a great high priest. He's bringing our needs to God just now. He's able to save us completely. He's able to save us in all the ways that we need to be saved. His name is Jesus. And he'll be our priest forever. Isn't that just glorious? Knowing that he is for us. That he'll never give up working for us. Doesn't that just flood you with doesn't that just make you want to live by faith and grow in Jesus? It's been wonderful to see in these last couple of chapters how Abram's been growing, how he's been learning to live by faith. Friends, that's what God wants for you too. Nothing in your life is more important than you growing in likeness to Jesus. God's using these events in Abram's life to, to forge in him a deep and a steadfast faith. In the same way, 
He wants to use these circumstances in our lives. He wants to use today and tomorrow and, and this week and this month and this year to make something of us. Do you believe that? Are you ready to believe that God is at work in you today? Be encouraged. Embrace this truth. Live out of its reality. Keep in step now with the Spirit of Jesus that's working in you to grow you. Let's sing together just now, praising Jesus, our great high priest, before the throne of God above. Let us pray. Lord, as we come to you now, may we open our hearts as together we take time to bring our prayers of intercession before your throne of grace. Sovereign God, in this season of harvest, we thank you for all those who work close to home and further afield to provide food for our tables. We thank you for all those involved. Forgive us for the times when we take their work for granted. We think of those in our community and beyond whose table and cupboards are so often bare. We pray for the work of Storehouse and ask that as the needs continue to increase due to the pandemic, that those of us who can give, will give, so that others won't go hungry in Belfast this winter. We pray for the scientists all over the world, working hard to find a vaccine and treatments for COVID-19. Grant them success, Lord. We thank you for the agreements that have been reached with AstraZeneca to ensure broad and equitable access to the vaccine and a commitment to provide the vaccine on a non-profit basis to the developing world. We pray for our healthcare workers in all settings, Lord. Grant them wisdom, patience and peace as they continue their daily work of caring for us all. Ease troubled minds and hearts as the numbers begin to climb and winters begin. winter begins. Protect them and their families too, Lord, we pray. We ask for your special hand of mercy to be upon all those involved in education, especially our school leaders and teachers. Give them strength to face each new day and deal with the countless decisions and challenges they encounter on a daily, hourly or even minute by minute basis. May they have wisdom to deal with the demands, to implement guidance and to bring clarity to their staff, parents and pupils. Grant them peaceful hearts and minds despite the circumstances. We remember too the family of Jenny Larmer who died at Newcastle University last weekend. We pray for all those who have been impacted by this tragedy and ask that you would be near to them in their grief. We pray for students at our local universities and colleges and those across the water who may be having to self-isolate far from home, away from families and loved ones. We pray for David Gray as he continues to support students through his chaplaincy work at Queen's and Stranmullis. And remember to Jane and the family as they live alongside the students at Derry Volgy. 
We thank you for the Bible opportunities Monty continues to have with students in his role with IFES. In the absence of face-to-face meetings and the limitations to travel, we pray that the gospel would continue to transform the lives of students across Europe and beyond. Lord, as our own anxieties, frustrations and fears ebb and flow, may we be mindful of each other and kind to all those we meet. Father, in the midst of all of this uncertainty, may we hold firmly to the eternal truth that you, the God who breathed this world into being, who placed the stars in the heavens, knows us, loves us, and are watching over us. In the mighty name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Isn't it wonderful to learn of the transformation in Abram's life? Failing and faithless, and yet we've seen again today that God is at work in him, growing him in courage, making him willing to live differently and eager to give to God. How gracious our God is. As we begin another week, wouldn't it be great to ask that our great high priest, Jesus, the greater Abram, would be at work in us too? Let's use the words of our final hymn as our prayer. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. Let's sing and after this, Christoph will share a few announcements with us. Thank you to Rachel uh, for leading us and for Barbara uh, for leading us in our prayers for others a a moment ago. After a successful trial run last Sunday, we're now planning to invite two discipleship groups every week to church, and that'll be on a rota basis. Uh, You'll receive an invitation uh, beforehand sent out by email from Church Suite. Uh, We've started this week with discipleship groups or districts one and two. Uh, But just to give you an idea that your turn is coming uh, next week on the 18th of October, groups three and four uh, should expect to be invited. And then on the 25th of October, uh, groups five and six uh, and so on. We had hoped to increase our capacity and maybe to invite more groups. But with the the rapidly rising infection rates, uh, we want to proceed with care. So. We want you to remain patient. If we feel in the future that we're able to invite more people to services, then we'll review the rota that we've set and we'll accelerate the invitations. Thanks for your patience and your understanding with that. By the way, you can check those dates that I've just given you in your weekly email. If you look out in this week's email, you'll see as well an invitation to give to the United Appeal So that's the mission of the Presbyterian Church in Ireland from its centre. It's a mission that goes right across Ireland and actually all over the world. Um, So have a look at the announcement about that uh, and you'll notice something very interesting. There's a chance there to give using Church Suite. So this is the first time we've made that possibility available to the whole church family. Feel free to go in there and, and try it. See if you can Uh, make a donation to the United Appeal uh, using the instructions. Again, they're all there in the email. 
I want to close this morning by sharing with you a piece of church family news. Uh, what I'm going to share is intended to mirror an announcement that's being made at a vacant congregation, Hamilton Road Presbyterian Church in Bangor this morning. Uh, the announcement there will update that congregation on their search for a new minister, uh, that the Kirk Session has conducted interviews that a hearing committee has heard their shortlisted candidate and that the hearing committee is now ready to bring that shortlisted candidate to be heard by the whole congregation. As that announcement is made in Bangor, they will learn that I am the candidate for that vacancy. I'll be heard in Hamilton Road on Sunday the 25th of October and the congregation will vote shortly after that to determine whether they wish to call me as their next minister. I expect that this news may come as a shock to some of you, and I wish we were all together in the church building this morning and that I wasn't recording a video to share this news with you and sending an email. I was first asked to consider this possibility back in March, uh, just before the lockdown began. And as you can imagine, the last seven months have been very unsettling and very challenging for me and for the family. Please pray for me and for Claire and our children as we continue to try to discern God's leading and to follow him into the future he's calling us to. Please pray for both churches Kirkpatrick here in Ballyhackamore and Hamilton Road there in Bangor. Let's pray that God will work in all of this for his glory. Let's now use this benediction from Hebrews 13 as a prayer for the week ahead. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, May God equip you with everything for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.